Do me a favor, track down a Bible if you can, and get with me to 1 John chapter 3. Uh, There's Bibles in baskets down by your feet, and you should be able to find 1 John chapter 3 on page 987. We're doing a series now on identity, and we're going to spend a few weeks on it. And here's, here's the reality. Here's what I believe. When we understand what God says of us, that will profoundly shape us. When we understand who we are, then that will actually help us to live productively in this world. St. Augustine, he said this. He published a a book. It's called Confessions. It was was a bunch of prayers that he offered up to God, and then he published it. And so it's called Confessions. But he says this. He says, you, God, have made us for yourself, and our hearts are restless until they rest in you. And he's acknowledging that every person you ever meet is made by God and for God, and no matter what they might do in their lives, no matter what pursuits they may have, all of us are cruising around with this low-level anxiety. We are trying to figure out what on earth are we here for. And until we get firmly settled that we are made by God and for God, and he has made a way for us to be in relationship with him forever, we won't be able to find satisfaction. No matter what, I mean, even if you become wildly successful and popular, even if you make all kinds of money or achieve the status that you're dreaming about, you can even attain all of that and still be able to say, I am not satisfied. I remember an an interview with Tom Brady. This is back from 2005, but Tom Brady, a professional football player, a well-known quarterback, uh, already at this point, he had multiple Super Bowl rings. Um, I believe at this point he was also married to a supermodel and, you know, just well-known, well-respected, just admired by so many different people or hated, I suppose, uh, as he's too successful for anyone who doesn't root for his team. But there was an interview that he was, that he was in and he just began to kind of spill out his heart. And so he says, why do I have these three Super Bowl rings and still think that there's something greater out there for me? I mean, maybe a lot of people would look at my life and say, hey man, this is what it is. I reached my goal, my dream, my life. But me, I think there's got to be more to this. There's got to be something more than this. I mean, this can't be all that it's cracked up to be. I mean, I've done it. I'm 27. What else is there for me? And then the interviewee says, he says, so what's the answer? And he says, Brady responds, I wish I knew. I wish I knew. You can achieve all kinds of different things in this world But if you do not understand your identity as as somebody who is made by God and for God, you will be restless. You you will not find the satisfaction that you're hoping for. And so for the next few weeks, we want to spend some time looking at what the Word says about us and trying trying to get our identity firmly rooted in what's true, and then allowing that to shape and mold the way that we do our lives. So let's look at 1 John chapter 3. We're going to do verses 1 through 3. So I'll read it, and then we'll pray, and we'll get to work. 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears... We shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. Let's pray. 
God, we right now ask that by your Spirit, through your Word, you would speak over us. That you would declare what is true of each of our hearts. And God, would you grant us an identity in you as children of God that could help us to navigate this world that we live in. Give us a a quiet confidence, a gospel confidence in being your children that can help us to live productive and faithful lives for your glory. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So as we look through the text this morning, we're going to find three things. We're going to find out who we are presently if we're believers in Christ, who God declares us to be. We're going to find out who we will one day become, who we are, we are going to be transformed into. And then finally, we're going to learn what we should be doing in the meantime. So let's get to work. First, we find out who we are presently. Presently, we are, if you're a Christian, you are somebody who has been declared a child of God. You are somebody who's been bestowed upon. There's been this declaration of here's who you are because of God's love. Look at verse 1. See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. If you are a believer in Christ, you are adopted into the family of God. Not in a generic sense of God made the world and every person is a child of God, but in a very specific and relational sense where he's looking at you and he's saying, I didn't just make you and I don't just love you generically, you're mine. I love you as my child and I have every intention of doing what is best for you. You're loved in that sort of way. Now, there's some stuff going on in this verse that we don't really pick up in the English translation. But the first word there where it says, see, this, this, is, this is John writing to a, a church and he is all of a sudden stepping into this worship moment. He's saying, behold. He's saying, friends, look at this. Look at how incredible this is. Take, look at this. Let this reality becomes something that captivates you. Look at this, this lavish love of God. That phrase there, it's, it's kind of a weird phrase because it actually is kind of a, uh, an expression that was unique to that time period. But, but literally, it means something like this. What planet did this love come from? Like what, what this, is, this is otherworldly. This is incredible that God would love us like this in such a way that he would bring us in to his family in love. And so we're supposed to worship God then. We're supposed to look at this truth and behold that God has done this for us. And we're supposed to think about the nature of the love of God, that he would lavish it on us and call us children of God. And that is what we are. We are adopted into the family of God. And having that identity and having that status ought to shape the way that we think about ourselves and the way that we engage in the world. But this truth is something that I think ought to be at the foundation of who we are as Christians. That this truth should be something that actually does move you to want to worship God. J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, uh, he talks about this. It's in a chapter called Adoption, and he he says it so well that I figured I couldn't say it any better, but he puts it like this. What is a Christian? The question can be answered in many ways, but the richest answer that I know of is that a Christian is one who has God as father. Then he goes on to say, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much they make of the thought 
of being God's child and having God as their father. He even goes on to say that the the doctrine of adoption for him is even more incredible than other significant doctrines like justification. He's saying, look, Christians are people who should be radically moved by the fact that God has loved them and set his love on them in such a way that they're brought into the family of God. That's what it means to be a Christian. That has to be at the heart of our understanding that God loved us and sent his son and brought us into his family, and that should actually move us. Now, that radical identity change, you might be wondering, well, how does that happen? How do I go from being outside of the family to being an heir, to being a a member? And John has described it in his other writing. He wrote a, a gospel. He wrote a story about the life and ministry of Jesus. And early on in the gospel, he tells us how this happens, how we get brought into the family. In 1 John 1, verse 11, he talks about Jesus coming into the world and being rejected. It says this, he came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Verse 12, here it goes. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. The way that we are brought into the family is through belief in Jesus Christ. The way that we become a member of the family of God in that very specific and relational sense is we trust in the Son of God who died in our place and we get brought in then through this adopting love. That's what God does for us. And, and my question then for us to wrestle with is, does that move you? Does the thought of being included in God's family cause you to worship? Does it, does it inspire you? Because I want to be more like John, who when I even think about this thing, it just, I just can't help but worship. Behold the love of God that he lavished on us, that made us children of God, and that is what we are. Does it move you like that? If that truth gets to your heart, I think it radically changes you. I think it helps you to live in a way that is uniquely and distinctly Christian. So let me tell you a story about the author here, John. And I heard a preacher do this to tell this story, and it was so unbelievable that I thought to myself, I better look this one up. Because one of the sins of preaching is embellishment. So we like to tell stories, and then we just, the story just kind of grows like like a fishing tale. Yeah, I caught a fish. It was, you know, it was huge. Um, So I looked it up, and there's a story by a church historian named Eusebius, and he, and it's in there, he wrote wrote church history, and he wrote this story into it. It's in his book, and it's in book three. Uh, So I was like, man, this is insane. John was somebody who so understood his relationship with God that it changed him. So he was an old man at this point, had already been on the island of Patmos, and then released from there. Uh, and he was doing ministry, and he had a young guy who was a disciple of his, and he was investing in him and spending time with him and helping him. But then some other churches sent a request that, that John would come and help them appoint leaders in all their churches. And so John takes this young man, and he looks at another church leader, and he says, this guy is your responsibility. I want you to watch over him while I go off to Ephesus and help them appoint leaders over there. And so he does that, and then he does his thing. He comes back, and he goes to that church leader, and he says, hey, where's that young man that I entrusted to you that I asked that you would watch over? And he says, he's dead. And John's like, excuse me? And they begin to interact, and and here's what really happened. He didn't die, but he fell in with a, a bad group of people, 
and he um, became a robber and a thief, and he actually became a leader in this group, something equivalent to what we would call a gang. And he got involved with this, and he just left the church and the fellowship and his faith in God. And so that church leader was saying, he's, he's kind of dead to us. He kind of went away, and we never anticipate him coming back. And John gets so upset by that that he says, get my horse. And he goes to where this gang is known to hang out at, and it's a very dangerous location. And so he hops on, old man John hops on his horse, and he cruises up into the hill area. And sure enough, a group of people jump out and capture him. And he says, perfect, that's why I'm here. Take me to your captain. So they bring him, they're, they're bringing him and you know, they're, they're taking him to the leader and the leader's that young man he was discipling at one point. And, and that leader sees him and, and John, is, he, he doesn't have a weapon on him. He doesn't have anything on him. Everyone else is armed. And the, the leader of that group sees John and just starts running away. Just like, oh no. And he starts running away. So John starts chasing him. He starts running after him and saying this. I'm just going to read it to you. He says, um, John, forgetting his age, pursued him with all his might, crying out, why, my son, do you flee from me, your own father, unarmed and aged? Pity me, my son. Fear not. You still have hope of life. I will give an account to Christ for you. If need be, I will willingly endure death as the Lord suffered death for us. For you, I will give up my own life. Stand, believe, Christ has sent me. And the young man stopped, and he fell down on his knees, and he wept. And John had the privilege of bringing him back home and rebaptizing him and reaffirming him in the fellowship of God's people and continuing to disciple him. Here's why I tell this story. I think when you begin to understand your identity, like John did, you become a radical Christian. You become the kind of Christian who so understands who God is and the love that you've experienced that you can even pursue people who are dangerous in love. You can, you can, you can let your life be used for God's glory in a very profound way. If you understand who you are, it will change you. And, and that's what I want for members of our church. I want people to be radically changed by the gospel of God's grace. And I want our lives to be so firmly rooted in who we are, members of God's family, that we allow every choice that we make to reflect God's glory. And, and I hope that that's the case for us. But even still, we need to know that even if you have that identity in Christ, it still could be challenging and hard. Look at the end of verse 1. People are still misunderstood. Look at verse 1. It says, the reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. The reason why we can be rejected and mistreated and misunderstood is because even our Savior had that experience in this world, that he came to his own and his, yet his own rejected him. We can, be, we can be following God and still feel like we're a little bit out of place in this world. And I think that's a part of the reality of being a Christian. So even though we, we, we take comfort in the fact that we're adopted into God's family, we still have to we still have to realize that we might be mistreated in this world because the world will no longer look at us as an ally, but it'll look at us as a very confusing reality, that somebody's following God, and that doesn't fit in the culture or the paradigm of the day. So the first thing that we find here is who we are. The second thing that we find here is who we are becoming, who we will become. 
And this is in verse 2. We as Christians, if you've been adopted into God's family, you have this very incredible future ahead, ahead of you. And here's what it is. One day, Jesus will return and you will be completely changed. So right now, we, we change incrementally, we change slowly, but one day Jesus will come back and in that moment, we will be radically changed permanently. So look at verse 2. Dear friends, now we are children of God and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him for we shall see him as he is. This is talking about that reality that when Christ returns, there's going to be a moment where we are done away with sin, that, that the struggles that we presently face are no longer going to be the thing that we have to deal with, because in that moment, we will be radically changed. People call this glorification. As a Christian, there's a day coming when we will be glorified. And the struggles that we presently face will be no more. I think about this probably more often than, than you would anticipate. Because I look at my life, and I look at my, the sin that I still struggle with, and how I can be so self-centered and thoughtless. How I can hurt other people that I love, like my wife and my kids. And I look at that, and having been a Christian for a long time now, and trying to be diligent in growing in grace, trying to be strategic in the way that I deal with these things, I'm still not progressing nearly as fast as I would like. And I look at my life and I go, I cannot wait for Christ to return and for that to be totally different. For me to no longer have to fight this fight with that, str that struggle with sin. There's a day coming when we will be radically changed. The Apostle Paul, he puts it like this in 1 Corinthians 15. He says, in verses 51 and 52, talking to Christians, we will all be changed in a flash, in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. There's a moment coming for you if you're a Christian when Christ returns and you will be changed. You will be changed. And a part of that change process happens simply because you look at him which is crazy, but that's a part of how we are changed presently. It's how we're going to be changed then. So there was a time in, in the story of the Bible when Moses had the opportunity to go up the mountain of God, and he was able to look on the glory of God in some fashion. And he would talk to God, and he would see some of that glory. And then he came down off of the mountain, and what did the people do? They recoiled from him because he had spent time in the in the presence of God, and he was now radiating with the glory of God, and people couldn't handle it. They made him put a veil over his face because they didn't know what to do with him. He was being changed by his interaction with God. Paul will put it uh, this way in, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3. He says that's what's happening right now for Christians, that we are being changed from one de degree of glory to the next as we behold the radiance of the glory of the Son of God. So when we see something, when we see the glory of God, it changes us. There's a moment coming where we're not just going to change slowly or incrementally, where we're going to see the glory of, of Jesus Christ and in, in his return, and it is going to be so profound that in that moment, you will be changed forever. And that's a beautiful, beautiful reality that we have as Christians. It's a part of the hope of the gospel that we possess. We trust in God's ability to change us and one day, ultimately, to make us 
like Christ. Third, here's the third thing that we find in our text. We find out what we should be doing in the meantime. If we are adopted into the family of God and we have this hope of being radically changed in the future, what should we be up to right now? Well, we should actually be trying to align our lives to the things of God. If that's where we're headed, if we're headed toward this experience of holiness and glory, then we should be attempting in the present to align our our lives to that reality. That we should be thinking through how can we become more like what God wants us to become. Verse 3, all who have this hope of being adopted, being glorified, all who have this hope in him, purify themselves just as he is pure. All who have this hope begin to change their lives. They begin to look at their lives and go, how can I, how can I become more and more Christ-like in the way that I handle my life? How can I allow Christ-likeness and purity to be exhibited in the choices that I make. We should be thinking through these things. This is what Christians do. And it's a response to God's grace. It's in a response to what he's done for us. But we want to be pleasing to him. So we should be reading the Bible going, okay, what does this mean for my life? How can I pursue purity? How can I make better choices that, that honor God in, in a greater way? How can I allow my life to be pure just as he is pure. And this is, this is in response to love. I mean, this is what we do. Uh, truth be told, um, I grew up on a tree farm, and I've got three brothers, and we had, you know, growing up, we had what, like eight to 12 full-grown golden retrievers who were house dogs, and, you know, three brothers. We're, I'm a slob. That's where I'm going with this thing. I'm a mess, and it's just kind of the way that I, you know, do life. I just, I'm, I'm messy. Um, and then I got, I started dating Ash, my wife, and she's very cleanly. She grew up with all sisters in a home without tons of dogs and, and is very orderly in the way that she does life and puts things away and cleans things up and all of that. What, what do I do then? Do I just say, you know what, you have to deal with me being a slob? No, in love, what do I do? I begin to pursue cleanliness, purity, because I love her, because I want to be with her, because I want to be around her, and I want her to be happy. That's what, it, that's what it looks like to be a Christian. If God is holy, Christians are people who go, you know what, because I so love him, even though that might not be my natural inclination, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to align my life to his purity, to his holiness. I'm going to try to allow him to to, to, I'm going to start pursuing things that will better reflect his character. Why, why is that? Well, it's because I love him, and I want to be near him, and I want to experience more, more of his joy and more of his pleasure. So what we should be doing in the meantime as we're awaiting this glorification and enjoying our adoption, what we should be doing is trying to align our lives to the holiness of God, trying to pursue purity just as Jesus Christ himself is pure. So, here's what we found then. Because of Jesus, we are adopted into the family of God. We place our faith in him, and we are brought in. We, we have this privileged status that we are children of God. Our identity is now firmly established because God has bestowed it upon us in his love. We know that we will be transformed because of this love, that he is changing us. And one day he will return and we will be totally different. 
totally changed into his likeness. And so right now what we should be doing is aligning our lives to this purity, to this holiness and his ways. So the rest that St. Augustine spoke of, the rest that, so many, that eludes so many people, it can be yours today. It can be yours if you'll trust in the finished work of Christ and what God says of you. If you will receive by faith adoption into the family of God, and if you will allow your life then to reflect that reality that you belong to God, you can have that rest. So let me pray, and I'll invite the band to come, and we'll worship once more. Let's pray. If you don't mind, why don't you go ahead and stand up if you can, and we'll bow our heads and our hearts and ask for God to wash over us with this truth. Lord, help us in this moment to behold your love, your adopting love that brought us in. Help us in this moment to embrace that identity that you've given to us and help us then to allow our lives to be shaped and molded according to that identity. Let us be a people who joyfully pursue your will and your ways. Help us, God. For anyone in here who's not yet trusted in Christ as Lord and Savior, who doesn't feel that privileged status of being a child of God, would you show them this morning that they can, that they can believe in Christ and receive that gift right now? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.